Week eight, representing God well. Quick recap, we've been seeing God raise up judges um, in, uh, the, in Israel to redeem the people. Judge in the idea of not a judge that, uh, you know, like, like the idea of a courtroom judge where oh, bad or good, hell or heaven, but judge is in the idea of the Hebrew word shaphat of we're going to, uh, God's going to send someone that would raise them up to put the people back into the rightful position with God. The people of Israel are without a king. They're without a leader. They're rebelling over and over and over. And when they finally had enough oppression, they cry out to God, and God raises up a judge. Um, they've been through uh, 40 years of depression, 20 years of depression, 7 years of oppression, all kind of oppression. And every time God grants them peace, but for some reason, every time God grants them peace, when they get in peace for a while, they go back into their old stuff. And I think that's a good picture of sometimes what the church is guilty of. When everything's going good, we forget God. And it's going good for a while, then all of a sudden a bomb drops and you forgot who God was and you don't know how to press into him. You don't know how to seek him. You don't know how to cry out to him. So then you got to come to church to get reminded that you can cry out. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where the people are at. They're finally crying out to God again. And we saw in the last two weeks that God raised up a dude named Gideon, the weakest man of the weakest tribe of Israel. And he said, Gideon, I'm going to raise you up to be the judge, and I'm going to bring deliverance through your obedience. And they come up against this army of 150,000 people, and Gideon gets 32,000. They're outnumbered four to one. And then through a series of uh, tests, if you will, um, and, and, and questions, God takes the army down to only 300 people. And they were outnumbered 450 to 1. Uh, 300 people against 150,000. Remember last week, uh, if you weren't here, uh, the army of 300 went at midnight. Something about midnight. Maybe we need to have a midnight worship service. Y'all don't want to see me at midnight. <laughs> but I'll be all in the spirit. But... They, they, get, they get up at midnight. They, for those of you that don't know, if you've ever seen me like at dinner at 9 o'clock or over, I, I, I look like I'm straight up high. It's bad. It's, I, I look like I'm drunk. Like, I've, I've, like, like, for real, it's bad. I just hit a wall, and I'm out. I'm, I mean, all, you know, all falling out in the spirit. It's bad. I don't know what that was. But at midnight, the army of 300 surrounds the camp. In three different groups, the camps in the valley, 150,000 people, they get around on the top and they start blowing horns and, and breaking pots with fire in the jar and the people get, get freaked out because they don't know what's going on and they think the army of 300 is a lot bigger than it actually is and the enemy is on the run and they're so panicked that they start killing each other. So we pick up in this place where uh, Gideon is going after the, the army who's running. I want to read the last two verses of last week's chapter, Judges chapter 7, to set up the frame of what's going to happen in Judges 8. It says in verse 24 of Judges 7, Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, everyone say Ephraim, saying, come down to attack the Midianites. Cut them off at the shallow crossings of the Jordan River at Beth Barah. So all the men of Ephraim did as they were told. They captured Oreb and Zeb, the two Midianite commanders, killing Oreb at the rock of Oreb, Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. In other words, they got killed up in their own home. Talk about, you know, like outdoing your welcome. Getting killed is one thing, but killed at home. Can you imagine the, the pride that was taken away in that? As they continued to chase the Midianites, afterward the Israelites brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan River. So the men of Ephraim killed the two commanders of the Midianites. Pretty big deal. Pretty big victory. Gideon didn't even get that. All Gideon got was 300 clarinet players and, 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 and pottery class makers, you know, like blowing horns and causing confusion and then he calls on the people of Ephraim and they get to take out the commanders. Pretty big victory, right? It's kind of like someone doing all the work for you and then someone gets the glory of the work. It's kind of like the job industry, right? You do all the work but someone else gets the glory for your pain, <laughs> right? And that gets frustrating. Well, let's look what happens with these people who got the glory for Gideon's work. Judges 8 verse 1. And then the people of Ephraim asked Gideon, 
Why have you treated us this way? Ungrateful sons of God. I wouldn't have said sons of God if we weren't in church, but why have you treated us this way? Why didn't you send for us when you first went out to fight the Midianites? Why didn't you include us? They argued heatedly with Gideon, but Gideon replied, what have I accomplished compared to you? Aren't even the leftover grapes of Ephraim's harvest better than the entire crop of my little clan of Abiezer? God gave you victory over Oreb and Zeb, the commander of the Midianite army. What have I accomplished compared to that? When the men of Ephraim heard Gideon's answer, their anger subsided. Gideon called on the people for Ephraim to help, and they joined the fight. But they were upset that Gideon didn't call them before the battle. If you remember last week, he fought with the 300 men, but then he called on the tribes of Asher, then he called on the tribes of Zebulon, then he called on the tribes of Naphtali, and after he called on all these tribes, he finally sent word to Ephraim. And the people of Ephraim were mad because they were like, why didn't you call us first? Why didn't you include us? Why did you leave us out? They had this issue with recognition. And instead of being jealous about not being called first, you would have thought they would have rejoiced that the people of God have been rescued and the enemy's been taken care of. But they couldn't focus on the victory. They focused on the recognition. They focused on why weren't we included? Why didn't we get the recognition? They were jealous of the fame, if you will. They were jealous. Why weren't we included? We could have been with you this whole time. But instead, you waited to get us at the very end. James 3.16 says this, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, you'll find disorder and evil of every kind. You ever known people that are jealous about someone else's glory? Jealous about someone else getting further in life? Or they have such a selfish ambition that they feel like if you're not included, then you got something wrong? We get so selfish and jealous when we don't get credit or when we feel dishonored. It's one of the, I think, the biggest issues in church, or at least in my experience, working and growing up in church, if you didn't get recognized, people get so offended. Well, I was here all night and all day, and I, I did this and I did that, and you ain't, you ain't said thank you once. Well, who are you doing your work for, the appraisal of men or in the eyes of God? And we feel forgotten and overlooked, even though we worship a God that we claim sees our every move and promises blessings for being faithful in our service to him. And we have this place where oftentimes we get so envious and jealous and we have this ambition of let me get recognized and let me get the fame. And I think the question we have to ask ourselves when we get into this place is, who are you serving? Are you serving God or are you serving yourself? I can't tell you how many times even in ministry for myself that I get a little, you know, hurt sometimes. Not, not anymore because I'm, you know, far beyond that most of the time. But I've been in a place where I just get so hurt and ticked and mad that, well, everyone else is getting all this and everyone else is getting all that. Why can't I just get one flipping thank you, right? And I've served in youth ministry and music ministry, and when you do youth and music in traditional church, that means you do everything, and the pastor gets the glory, and then you start plotting how you're going to kill the pastor, right? <laughs> or you start plotting, you know, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to figure out how I can get above that, that guy because he ain't doing nothing. All he does is sit in his office and write sermons all day. And, and I'm, I'm leading the youth and I'm doing the Bible study. I'm doing the admin. I'm doing the graphic design. And I'm doing the music. And I, I'm doing that. And back in my day, I'm setting the chairs up. And I'm, I'm, put, I'm putting the carpet out. And, and, and you know what I didn't realize? God was showing me how to set up church because one day he was going to lead me to start one where we had to set it up for three years straight on Saturday nights at a YMCA. And even when we started doing that, people would ask, how do you know how to do all this so easy? I'm like, well, I did it for seven years for another church, and I never got a thank you. And because I never got a thank you, I outdid everyone else who helped me with honor for doing it, right? 
And we overlook that because sometimes we get so self-involved. Like, it, I, I want some sort of recognition. And this is where the people are at. Like, why didn't you include us? We're stronger than you, Gideon. We could have done this from the beginning. You included us last, and all we got to do was kill two Midianite commanders. And you got all the glory for 300 people killing 150,000 people. And because Gideon wasn't driven by selfish ambition, he didn't even challenge their pride. He honored their craving for recognition because he didn't care about what they wanted versus what he got. He said, I'm going to represent God well, and I'm going to honor their need to feel important, even though they were already on such a level of glory because God used them to defeat two commanders of the worst oppressors so far in the book of Judges. Remember, they oppressed the people for seven years and they had enough. I wish sometimes America would wake up to the oppression that we're going through. Because I don't know about you, but I've had enough. But that's, that's not really what the church is shouting, right? We got a few here and there that are standing up. But the church praises the glory of one or two men challenging the government while we all closing up doors and embracing online worship and praise God for the the great men of God who are challenging the government. It's like God's like, well, I've called all of you great. When are all you going to stand up and say I'm worth it? Because I started with 12 men who died for my name. But you scared of a disease for my name, right? Philippians 2, 3 says, don't be selfish and don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Think of others as better than yourself. If we took that into every place, every environment, in our workplaces, in our homes, in church, thinking of others as better than yourselves, you would be amazed at the shift of atmosphere because you're no longer trying to get recognized and you're no longer trying to get glory. You're outdoing yourself to make sure that everyone else gets the credit that you so deserve. Romans 12.10, love each other with genuine affection. Genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Genuine affection is not the kind of affection where you show face in front of people and make them feel loved. And then as soon as they're gone, you talk about how you hated doing that. You know what I'm talking about? Like you go to those family meetings where you act like you love your family. And as soon as you're done eating Thanksgiving dinner and they leave... God, can, can you... I mean, they just took so much that they couldn't save a little bit for everybody else. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all probably thinking of someone right now, aren't y'all? <laughs> right? I'm, I'm so glad you came. I've been missing you. And then they leave and you're like, God, I'm glad they left. <laughs> no, genuine affection. Right? Taking delight in honoring each other. Outdoing with honor for those who deserve it and for those who don't. Because sometimes the humble outdoing will break someone's wrong mindset. And sometimes the best way to handle pride is responding with humility yourself. And it seems like often when we deal with pride, we respond with pride. I'm better than you. Well, let me show you what I've done. And instead of just recognizing their need for attention, you battle their attention by recognizing yourself. Well, don't go in and tell me what you've done because this is what I've done and I've done this and I've done that and I've done You have no idea what I've done. And God's like, would you humble yourself and just feed into their need for recognition because you are secure in your identity and me that you don't need someone to affirm you because you're affirmed by the Holy Ghost, right? That's what Gideon did. He, he didn't start going, what, what you mean calling you first? Let me tell you what I did. I was, I was at the wine press and, and taking care of goats and then an angel showed up and I had to go kill a goat and I had to go make the broth and I had to go you know, make the meat and I put it on a rock and then the fire came up and then I had to put a blanket on the ground. The ground got wet and then the ground was dry and then the blanket got wet. This is a review. I had to do, he didn't go into all that. He didn't, he didn't go into, well, let me tell you what I just went through this month. 
I had 32,000 shoulders, and God's like, that's too many. And I'm like, God, there's 150,000. He's like, that's too many. Well, then I got to down to, to, to uh, 10,000 shoulders. Now I got 300 shoulders, and then 300 of us had to go at night with a bunch of clarinets and some, and some, and some pottery barn, and, and then we had to start shouting. And, and, and He didn't go through all that. He didn't go through all that. He, he, he started to, to outdo it on her. You know what Mark 10, 45 says? For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we get so caught up in this complex of I deserve to get when God himself says I came to give. Or in verse 4 of Judges 8, it says, Gideon then crossed the Jordan River with his 300 men. Though exhausted, they continued to chase the enemy. You got these men of Ephraim complaining about why weren't we included? So Gideon had to pour out more of himself and honor them. Well, you, you killed the, the strongest commanders. Y'all are getting the best grapes. I've got the leftover grapes. You know, like you got the fresh produce stand grapes. I got food lion. Right? You know, you, you, you got Coca-Cola. I got, you know, RC, Walmart brand, you know, Kroger Coke. <laughs> you could afford the $4.99. I, I had to get the 99 cent, right? <laughs> he's, he's honoring them. Y'all got the best stuff. You, you killed the strongest guys. Come on, y'all got it. Y'all good. Well, then he crossed. So he's He's tired. Because when you pour out yourself for people who don't appreciate you, you get tired. I got to be honest, I've had such a shift in my energy because I feel more honored at, in this house than I ever have been in our six years. I thank you for that. But there are times when I don't feel like it and I have to remember, you know what? This is not about me getting them to say, thank you, Pastor Kyle. This is about seeing people come alive in Christ. And if I would become less and they became more, then I'm fulfilling my call. We have to remind ourselves that sometimes. But you get tired. You're tired of doing everything for everyone else. My weeks are getting more crammed. I preach Saturday, I preach Sunday, and if you know me, that you know y'all might show up on time, but I show up three or four hours before. I get here at 7 a.m. Sunday. I get here at four, uh, 3 o'clock on Saturdays. And then I get Monday off. Uh, but I have to work a job Monday through Friday, which is only two hours, but it's two hours. And then Tuesday we got home cameras. And Wednesday we got equipment nights. And then Thursday we got men's and women's group. And then everything else in between that where I got to talk to people about what, what's going on and their struggles and praying for them and, and meeting with people and meeting with leaders and answering questions. It's a lot. You get tired. You, you know what it's like. You're in a job. You, you, you got to manage your relationship. You got to manage your kids. You got to work a job. You got to manage a job. You got to raise kids at your job. <laughs> Call coworkers. It gets tired. And sometimes you need something to kind of get you to that next place. Right? You need a break. When Gideon's case, they hungry. So we, we've, been, we've been up past midnight with 300 people with clarinets and pottery barn. And we yelling and we screaming and we shouting for the Lord. And now we chasing 100 and, uh, you know, 20,000, 50,000 people. We, we hungry. We tired. So look what happens in verse 5. When they reach Succoth, Gideon asked the leaders of the town, please give my warriors some food. They're tired. I'm chasing Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. But the officials of Succoth, who Succoth, replied. <laughs> I didn't say it last night. I was waiting for this morning. <laughs> Catch Zeba and Zalmunna first, and then we'll feed your army. My response would have been like, you ungrateful sons. Like, I, I, would, have, I, I would have been so mad. Because they were fighting for the people that Succoth. They were fighting for him, and all they, they didn't say, come join the fight. They didn't say, put your lives on the line. They just said, hey, can we get some food? 
Because we're tired. We're hangry. You ever been there? We, we want some sustenance. And make no mistake, when you give yourself to the whole work of God, although you may get, never get tired of it, you will get tired in it. And you need some sustenance. You need some personal time. You know, I, I find it funny sometimes how people are, like even, even now, and if, if this is you, I'm not picking on you, I'm not thinking of anyone specifically, but some people, they're so scared to say, hey, Kyle, can I, can I take a break? Can, can I, you know, like, can I take a weekend off? I'll, I'll use Lee as, as an example because she wouldn't mind this. I asked her, hey, can you take pictures last weekend? And then I got a text from her saying, you know what, I really need to worship. I said, hey, that's cool. We don't need it. Come to find out, she was scared to ask me that, and her husband had to say, do, do you forget that Kyle, like, like, loves us? <laughs> like, he's not trying to get you to, to perform a job. If you tell him you need to worship, he'll be fine with that. I find it funny how even in the culture of such a free church, people are still scared to let each other down. You know why? Because we're in this doctrine of we don't understand outdo each other with honor, and you don't believe that I'll outdo you with honor even though I may think I have a need. Right? If someone came to me, like even on the worship team, and said, you know what, I can't serve this weekend, because I just need to be out in the crowd and worship, I wouldn't say, you know, not good job, bad, and not faithful servant. <laughs> I would just be like, yeah, that's fine. Get off the stage. Like, it's cool, right? Because do I get consumed of what the look is for the crowd? Or do I honor the individual and their needs, right? Well, they just needed some food. And when you're in the work of God, you need food. You need spiritual food. You need real food. It's probably why so many churches have fellowship social halls. You know, like they build a whole built building where they eat food and they never do anything in it but eat food. And it's just empty and it starts smelling because no one's ever in there and it never gets clean. No. No. That's, that's, that's my experience in church. But I wonder, do we represent him well while we're seeking sustenance? In 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 33, it says this, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Do everything you do for the glory of God. If we got that in our minds, that would take care of most of our issues. If you're not doing it for the glory of God, don't. And if you're doing something good and it's not for the glory of God, do it as if he was watching you do it. Type for the glory of God. Eat for the glory of God. Right? Manage your personal lives for the glory of God. Manage your flesh, your body that God gave you as a free gift for the glory of God. Manage your emotions for the glory of God. If you love him so much, why did you let that thought come in that made you sad when you claim victory and joy in the name of the Lord who is with you every second? There's, you're not, it's not possible to ever feel alone if you understand that you're never alone. So the next time you get that feeling of I'm alone, what do we do? Is take the thought captive. Wait a minute. No, I'm not, I'm not alone. I've got the three in one right here. Right? Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles, verse 32, or the church of God. I, too, try to please everyone in, in everything I do. I don't just do what's best for me. I do what's best for others so that many will be saved. Do everything for the glory of God, representing God well in how you respond to the needs of others so that the way you respond will be the testimony of who you belong to. I think the way we respond to people can testify a lot to who we are really belonging to. If someone doesn't give you something, do you belong to the needs of your flesh or do you belong to the Lord Almighty, right? How do you represent him in your needs? You know, this whole passage in Matthew 10 starts off by asking, you know, what kind of food to eat because they were eating this sort of food and this is the only food available. And, and the response is honor everyone and everything you do. Like even if you don't get first choice, just like the people of Ephraim, you, did, you weren't first choice. You were just the choice that God said to ask in, number four, not number one. There are so many 
different things that sustain us. But how do you go about seeking the thing that sustains you? If you don't get what you want, or you're only able to grab that thing that isn't your first choice, do you receive it as if it was the first choice for the glory of God? I, I see young people all the time. They want this job, but if they're only offered this one, instead of taking it so that they can make some sort of money, they hold out for this that they may never get, and the reason that they ne may never get it is because they need to learn skills in the one that they were able to get to prepare them for the big money, if you will. And it's not just young people, it's everyone. We want the biggest and the best, but we don't want to put in the work for the things leading up to that thing. When I, when I started in ministry, I was miserable for a lot of it because I thought everything was just done wrong. But I had not earned the ability to steward a house. I had to learn it. I remember after I left my first church, Abundant Life, not many people know this, but before I went to work at a church called The Light, I had a group of about 20 people ask me over for dinner one night in Rinkin. And you know what they said? I was leading this a youth ministry um, in South Carolina. We were having this thing called The Vault. And uh, it was, we had probably two or three hundred kids on, on Friday nights. It was awesome. It was, it was worship. It, it was ugly worship, but it was good worship. <laughs> Chelsea was in that youth ministry. She didn't sing like she did now. Trust me. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> but thank God I embraced the okay for now, which is like, like Kim Walker status. Right? Y'all don't know who that is. Y'all need to get saved and listen to Christian music. So, <laughs> just look her up. But they invited me over for dinner, and they were like, because they had been coming to the vault. And, like, the vault, like, it was, it was actually in a worship center about this big. And we had so many people that we had to take away chairs, and people were, like, sitting on the floor. Hashtag goals. And don't let that scare you. We'll have chairs for, for some of you that can't sit down and get back up. But me. <laughs> but I met with these people, and, and they were like, hey, um, we want to start a church, and we want you to be the pastor. And they had everything lined out, laid out. The pay, they had a building ready to go. They had everything. And I was, I was meeting them week to week, and I was in it, and then all of a sudden, God just, one day I woke up, and God said, you're not ready. And man, did that piss me off. You ever get mad at God when he says you're not ready for something, and it's right there for the taking? And as much as I fought it, it was the most horrible meeting, because I had to go into that meeting when we were supposed to sign the bylaws. And I went into that meeting, and I said, God told me I'm not the guy. And I never heard from them again. Motives revealed. Right? They wanted someone that they could do the work that they didn't know how to do, but they weren't invested in the relationship. I didn't understand that then. But I had so much more to learn. I had more humility to learn. I had more submission to learn. I had to grow in a lot of things still that I thought that I knew. And in those moments, do we represent God well? When you get resistance or in those moments when you think you have it all together and you think you're ready for something and God says no, do you represent him well by embracing the current place? Or do you let an earthly anger or a pride in yourself of I am good enough keep you at a pause when the next thing that would elevate you is a place of serving and something that you think you're too good for? How do you represent God when you walk right into resistance? Because it will come. Matthew 10, 21 through 23 says this. A brother will betray his brother to death. 
You ever had those family members who just betray you? And you're thinking, this shouldn't happen. I don't. Well, it's prophesied in the Bible. Don't be surprised. A father will betray his own child. Children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. Ooh. All nations will hate you because you're my followers. I find it funny how the church tries to gain the acceptance of the entire city when it might literally, well, it will literally never happen. And then we put, let's get the city on our side so that we can have influence. And God's like, could you just influence them regardless if they have your back or not? Because it preaches good, right? Like, we, we, you know, we're, we're, the, we're, the, we're the head, we're not the tail, and we're the lender, not the borrower. Let's, let's partner with the city, and we're going to move forward. And I've said that, but what if the city says no? Right? What if they're like, we don't see anything about this that benefits us? How do you respond? When you try to go in your workplace or your, your, the, the place of your, your living or your home life and whatever it is, you know, when you, Thanksgiving and Christmas are coming up and you got those family members that are coming and you pray up in here, but for some reason you're timid to pray in front of them because they know the real you, right? They know all the stuff that Kyle don't know, right? They know all the stuff that all the church members don't know and for some reason their knowledge of your history prevents you from walking in your current place. When you're persecuted in one town, flee to the next. I tell you the truth, the Son of Man will return before you've reached all the towns of Israel. You know what he's saying? He says, there are there is too many steps in your destiny to get caught up in a place of rejection. And a lot of times we get in this one place of rejection we feel like God wants us to stay right here until we get accepted. Jesus himself, I'm going to shake the dust off my feet and move on to the next town. I'm not going to give all of my time in a place where they won't receive me. And I think that's what happens to people. We get so caught up in I want everyone to accept me that we won't move forward into the next step of our lives because we're still trying to earn something in the previous one. People stay in the town of rejection instead of moving on in the assignment and then you end up in a place called stuck that you were supposed to flee from. Is this speaking to anybody? Part of representing God well is I'm not going to stay here to keep persuading. I'm going to do what calls me to do and they're going to receive it or, or they're not. And after I have done all that he has required, not the people, all that he's required, when I fulfill what he has told me to do, then I'll move on. Because I'm not trying to get the praise of man. I'm trying to get the praise to my God so that he can look at me and say, well, well done, good and faithful servant. So in verse 7 of Judges 8, Gideon said, remember, they were like, we're not going to give you food. So Gideon said, well, after the Lord gives me victory over Zeba and Zalmunna, I'm going to return and I'm going to tear your flesh with thorns and briars from the wilderness. Like, dang, all he wanted food, God. And from there, Gideon went up to Peniel and asked again for food, but he got the same answer. So he said to the people of Peniel, well, after I return in victory, I'm going to tear down this tower. Gideon went from like timid little dude making sure it was God to, you ain't going to feed us? Fine, I'm going to come back and tear your flesh and rip down your towers. Like, dang, man, it's just a grilled cheese. <laughs> right? Well, but look at what he says. He says, after the Lord gives me victory. Because you know what Gideon understood? I don't have to have your food to still get the win. Even though I need this, my victory doesn't depend on my need. And what we do in life is God tells us to go to this place. And we, we get in this place of, of stuck and, well, I need to, to get this victory here or I need to get nourished here. I need to find the acceptance in my family so that I can. I need to find the glory in my workplace so I can. I need to be recognized so I can. And God's like, if you've done all you can, and I'm telling you to go to the next step, why are you still staying there? 
you're still going to get the victory even though your need's not met. You ever been there where you feel like I can only get the victory if my needs are met? I can only move forward once my family forgives me? I don't know why I'm talking about that today. I can only move forward when that person forgives me. You moving forward is not dependent on them forgiving you. It's dependent on you over-honoring and forgiving them, asking for forgiveness, but just because they don't give it, that doesn't mean you're locked up. You've humbled yourself through the process. And we get in this false idea of, I can't go on until I get all this stuff right. And God's like, well, you're never going to get it right without me. And if you would honor what I've told you to do, love, overdo with honor, forgive, you're free to move on. And that's probably, you know, one of the biggest strongholds I see in, in religion is when we're burned by one thing, we think we have to make that right by getting there, yes, in order to move on. God's like, well, I don't need you to get there, yes. I need to have yours. Forgive them. Apologize. Make right. Outdo with honor. And you're released. Right? Is that speaking to anybody? Well, you don't know what's been done to me, Kyle. I was used and abused and yada, yada. Jesus was used and abused, and in the biggest abuse of his life, he was glorified in a resurrection. You really think what they've got is bigger than that? He says, I'm going to tear down the altars, and I'm going to rip your flesh. He says, all the things that you are so worried about protecting, they're going to be ripped down. Because why wouldn't they feed Gideon and the people the food? Because they were focused on let's protect our town because the enemy is still out there. And Gideon's like, that's fine. You won't serve the need now. I'm going to come back and the people of God's going to take care of you. You ain't got to worry about the Midianites. You're going to reap what you sow. The things that you so protected that wouldn't allow you to serve the needs of others are going to be ripped down. I wonder if any of you have that thing that you are so consumed with protecting that it's actually preventing you from moving on to serve the needs of others. Well, I can't do this because I've got to focus on me. Humble yourself to the needs of others and let the needs of you come second. And God says, that's representing me well. And if you would outdo them with honor and focus on others, I'll preserve you. I will take care of you. Romans 8, 6, the mindset of the flesh is death. The mindset of taking care of what you can see is the flesh. But the mindset controlled by the spirit finds life and peace. Their minds were on the needs of their flesh. Well, we can't help you because we got to protect ourselves and, and we got to make sure that, you know, God says, you know, like, you know, sow into the church and then we think, well, my, my bills aren't paid or God says buy someone dinner and you think, well, I've got to eat tonight. You don't have enough trust. But make sure it's God telling you and not your need to manipulate the system because I think that's one thing preachers do really bad. You know, all the preachers say, feed someone else and God will provide your need. And then you go feed someone else and you find yourself starving at 6 o'clock because it was you trying to manipulate a system rather than actually hearing the voice of God. Just because it's a good thing, that does not mean God has called you to do it. You ever had that guilty moment when you're like on coming off I-16 or I-95 and there's that person on the corner with the sign you know, and, and, it, and you can tell they struggled to make it look like they couldn't write, but you know they really could? Y'all know what I'm talking about? And it says, you know, um, looking for a job, need money. I have six kids and six wives or something like that. You know, I'm feeding a family of 25 and we're homeless, but you can't see any of them here. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Like you, 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 but, but then you get that like, oh, I need to or should I? And then if God says no, for some reason you feel guilty that you didn't. 
Because we'll always talk about the times where God says yes, but let's talk about the times God says no. Would God say no sometimes? Absolutely. Because what if God's trying to humble them for trying to manipulate? But that don't mean assume that every time either. I'm trying to get everyone to understand we have to listen to the voice of God and even when it goes out of your comfort zone and out of your ability, do it. He knows your every need. He says he supplies it. Have the mind of the spirit and in that you'll find life and peace. You'll know when to say no. You'll know when to say yes. You'll know when to serve. You'll know when to leave. You'll know when to embrace. Is this speaking to anybody? Verse 10. By this time, Ziba and Zamuna were in Karkor with about 15,000 warriors. All that remained of the allied armies of the east for 120,000 had already been killed. Dang, Gideon. Remember that army of 135,000? They down to 15. Gideon's people are hungry. They didn't get their needs met. They didn't get lunch. They tried to go through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's the most confusing thing on the planet. Gideon circled around by the caravan route east of Noba and Jogbaha. I'm going to get on these names. Taking the Midianite army by surprise. Zeba and Zalmunna, the two Midianite kings, fled, but Gideon chased them down and captured all their warriors. Even though their needs were not met, they still went forward because they didn't let a need not met stop them in their walk. And even though they didn't get the sustenance, they didn't get the food, they still got the victory. They still took care of the army because we don't live by flesh and blood. What does that mean we don't live by flesh and blood? That doesn't mean stop eating and you'll always live. That's just stupidity. What it means is when it says don't live by flesh and blood, it means don't be led and driven by the need of your flesh and blood. Be led and driven by what God tells you to do, and in that, he will supply your every need. That's what you learned in the principle of fasting. It's not let me fast so that I can get closer and gain more God. It's let me learn how to depend on him. So that as I'm walking in my life, I have gone into a lifestyle of dependence and I'm not led by something I think I need. I'm led by where he tells me to go. Right? The disciples were trying to cast out demons and Jesus said, you can't do this but by prayer and fasting. It wasn't that prayer and fasting was going to cast out the demon. It was there was something lacking in their identity that they had to receive so that they could go back with authority that they would have gotten through the prayer and the fasting. But we don't look at it like that, right? We read the scripture and think, oh, cast out a demon. I need to pray and fast. No, get out of the mindset of a recipe of religion and a to-do list and we got to get this so that we... No, 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 no. It's not about that. Why did they need to pray and fast? They had identity issues. They didn't know their authority. I have cast demons out of people and didn't have to fast. But I've had to make a decision for the church and I had to fast. Are y'all hearing this? Romans 8, 13, when you live controlled by the flesh, you are about to die. But if the life of the spirit puts to death the corrupt ways of the flesh, we then taste its abundant life. And God didn't let the need for food to meet their hunger needs stop him. They move forward and they conquer the army. It's kind of like Galatians 6, 9. Don't get tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, you're going to reap a harvest of blessing if you don't give up. Don't give up because a need's not met. Don't, do not give up because a need is not met. I feel like everyone in here needs to hear this right now. You are good enough to keep moving forward because it's not you who make yourself good enough. It's not your church attendance that makes yourself good enough. 
It's not your prayer life that makes you good enough. It's not your church life that makes you good enough. What makes you good enough is being identified in the Father. That's it. And let everything flow out of that. God knows everything about you that no one else does. And he still says, all I need your yes. I don't, I don't care about the other stuff. I know how many men you've been with. I know how many women you've been with. I know, I, I know how many times you cheated on your taxes. I, I know how many times you've overspent. I know about your debt. I know about your credit. I know about how you come to church with smiles, but you, you came on the way to church going, I don't want to come to church today. He, he says, I know all, I know all that. Just give, just give me your yes. God even knows, I know you don't really trust me. Just give me your yes. And let me, let, let me show you that you can. He, he knows it all. Verse 13. Hope y'all aren't bored. Okay, good. It's only 1130. I got to 2 o'clock. Just kidding. Just kidding. After this, Gideon returned from the battle by way of Harris Pass. And there he captured a young man named Succoth, and he demanded that he write down the names of all the 77 officials and elders in the town. Uh-oh. Gideon is coming back through the town. Gideon then returned to Succoth and said to the leaders, Here is Zeba and Zalmunna. When we were here before, you taunted me. Cat Zeba and Zalmunna first, and then we'll feed your exhausted army. I was thinking a different A word, but. Verse 16. I ain't right. And then Gideon took the elders of the town and taught them a lesson, punishing them with the thorns and briars in the wilderness. And then he tore down the Tower of Peniel and killed all the men in that town. Whew, savage. He punished the men of Succoth, killed the men of Peniel. Now, we aren't really sure why he decided to kill all those people. Some believe that the people of Peniel were significant supporters of the Midianites. But what I want to focus on, they would have been redeemed had they just met the need. For 300 dudes. And their destruction was that they didn't put someone else first. 1 Timothy 5, 24-25. Remember the sins of some people are obvious, leading them to certain judgment, but there are others whose sins will not be revealed until later. In the same way, the good deeds of some people are obvious. And the good deeds done in secret will someday come to light. Do you ever find yourself doing good only when it's seen? Sometimes you've got to learn that, some, that God calls you to meet a need that you'll never gain profit from. That you'll never get recognition from. That no one will ever know. The people didn't want to give food because they wanted to see the Midianites killed. They wanted to see if it's worth their time. They wanted to know, will we get fruit from our sowing? Sometimes those are the, I would say every time, those are the wrong questions to ask. Not how does this profit me? Not will I reap what I sowed? No, no, no. Those might be principles and they're truth, but God says those should not be your driving factor. It's simply this, did I tell you? Representing God well is I'll give to meet needs so that my God is glorified above myself. Philippians 4.19, the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So Gideon has captured these two kings. Needs are being met. I guess they got a second win because they, they're... They're moving back to the town. We had not seen any record of them eating yet. They're still fighting. They're still going forward. They win in victories. Verse 18, and then Gideon as Zeba and Zalmunna, the men you killed at Tabor, what were they like? Well, like you, they replied. They, they had the look of a king's son. They were my brothers. The sons of my own mother, Gideon exclaimed. And as surely as the Lord lives, I wouldn't kill you if you hadn't killed my people. Well, turning to Jether, his oldest son, he said, kill him. But Jether did not draw his sword, for he was only a boy and he was afraid. Hmm. Then Zeba and Zalmunna said to Gideon, well, be a man, kill us yourself. So Gideon killed them both and took the royal ornaments from the neck of their camels. Wrong time to test Gideon. Well, if you so big and bad, kill us. All right, done. But I want to focus on Gideon's son. Because Gideon's son was with him the entire time. With 300 men, with 
pottery and fire and clarinets. They defeated everything. They were winning, gaining victories. Every time they came against opposition, they succeeded. And when Gideon said, hey, boy, take your sword and kill him, he said, I'm too afraid. You ever see victory after victory after victory in your life, but for some reason when the next thing comes up, you're still afraid to move forward? God's done this for me, and God's done that for me, and God's done this, and God's done this, and God is so good. But for some reason, that is not enough for you to have the faith to go into the next thing, the next season of alone, the next season of with. For some reason, past victories for some of us are just not enough to draw our sword which is the very thing that would kill the things destroying who you are and your, your lack of influence. I guarantee you some of you can look back in your life and see even though you were in the most worst predicaments, you're so thankful that God has brought you to this place. Yet for some reason that's not enough for you to say, I've got this. You still doubt yourself, you doubt your strength, you doubt your ability because you're still missing one thing. Your victories were never and will never be about your strength and your ability. It's about I'm putting all my cars in God and as long as I'm seeking him, if he tells me to go, I don't care how scary it is, I will not be driven or led by fear. I'm going to be driven by a God that says, I will go with you, I will go before you, I will meet your needs, I will strengthen you, I will uphold you with my righteous hand, I love you son, I love you daughter. Why isn't that enough? You know, one thing I've seen over this past year is that God is bringing so many different people into this house. And I get a sense that most of the people that have been coming have lost hope that they can still do. Well, let me just give you some peace of mind. Just like Gideon said, just like we've been reading the scripture, there are still so many steps for you to take. It ain't no way you're done. Well, Gideon killed the two Midianite commanders and took the royal ornaments from the necks of the camels. And in Judges 8.22 it says, And the Israelites said to Gideon, Be our ruler. You and your son and your grandson will be our rulers. You've rescued us from Midian. But Gideon replied, I'm not going to rule over you, nor will my son. The Lord will rule over you. In a moment, it would, Israel could have had a king like that. But Gideon knew my call was not to be king. My call was to redeem you so that we could be people who fully relied on him and not just one man. So that we could be a people that would get back into the graces of our God. Not every assignment from God has to do with you being in control or you rising above. Sometimes an assignment for God is just saying I'm humble enough to never get the fruit of the outcome that I think I should get. Well, I'm wasting my time because I never got this thing that I was so faithful. And your faith is so little that God doesn't see, well, if you had that, you would have only gone this far. But if you just stay here, and humble yourself to not getting this gain. I've got a gain for you way over here like this. But is God that big enough and good enough that you would believe it? You ever find yourself serving something and it proved to be, you, it seemed like a waste of your time? If you were humble in it, serving in it, giving it to God, and maybe you weren't, and you've asked forgiveness for God, God says, I'm going to take everything you learn and I'm going to prop you up beside me. I'm going to take you places you never dreamed of. You don't have to be a king to rule like a king. But you know what the funny thing the Bible says? In Revelation, it talks about how he is the king of kings. That's capital K, king over little k, kings. He's talking about his people. 
You as a child of God, you're a king, queen. You're a king of the earth. You are called to rule over everything that your hand is on. And a good ruler rules in humility. So Gideon says, I'm not going to rule. But as with everything we've seen in Judges thus far, I'm closing. I'm getting there. See, I got, yeah, I got one and a half more pages. I'll do it quick. But as we've seen over and over, Gideon's about to make one mistake. Verse 24. I'm not going to be a king, however, I do have one request. Each of you give me an earring from your plunder you collected from your fallen enemies. The enemies being Ishmaelites all wore gold earrings. Gladly, they replied. They spread out a cloak and each of them threw in a gold earring. He gathered from the plunder. The weight of the earrings was 43 pounds of gold. That's a lot of earrings. That's a lot of earrings. Not including the royal ornaments and pendants and the purple clothing worn by the kings of Midianites with the chains around the necks of their camels. Remember when he killed Zebulon and, and the other guy? Uh, I think Zeba and Zebulon. He took the, the things off the camels' necks. The, the 43 pounds of gold earrings didn't include everything else he had already gotten. Gideon already had a pretty good wealth. But now he's asking for more. Give me your earrings. And, and, and Gideon didn't have a bad thing in this. He wasn't thinking, I want to get game for myself necessarily. He was falling back into an old thing. Watch what happens. Gideon makes a sacred ephod from the gold and puts it in Ophrah, his hometown. But soon all the Israelites excuse me. But soon all the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping the ephod and it became a trap for Gideon and his family. That is the story of how the people of Israel defeated Midian, which never recovered. Throughout the rest of Gideon's lifetime, about 40 years, there was peace in the land. Now they got peace in the land because the Midianites were gone. But I think sometimes we get overwhelmed in the victory of five months of peace when he wants to sustain peace over your lifetime. You ever been there where you're following God and, and you're doing things, but then you got to get off track because you're in peace and you don't feel like you need him as much anymore? And then you start to give your eye and attention to other things? And then some small compromises become some big compromises. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in this lifestyle totally opposite from God. For here, it all started with 43 pounds of earrings trying to make a memorial of what happened. I wonder if sometimes God looks on America and say, citizens, you've, you've made a memorial of your freedom. And you care more about the memorial than your relationship. Is that too much? The tabernacle was in a place called Shiloh. <coughs> and Midian said, well, let's, let's build a memorial right here in my, in my town of Ophrah so I don't have to travel to Shiloh. And we worship here. Because sometimes after many victories, you start to look at your own desires as gods, because you get too confident in your hearing and your discernment, and you convince that everything you hear is of God because of your past victories. Well, let me tell you, no matter how much victory you've had, no matter how far you go, you always put what you want and your desires before the feet of Jesus and say, do you want this for me? Because I don't see anywhere in here that Gideon, remember it, this entire story, God, would you, God, is this you, God? Did, did he ask one time, God, do you want me to build a memorial out of 43 pounds of gold earrings and put it on an ephod? You know what the ephod was? It was the cloak that a priest wore. They, they put this cloak up and 43 pounds of gold and all this crazy stuff and the people started to worship the memory of the victory rather than the God who gave them the victory. But isn't that what we do? We start to worship our success and how far we've come. And then you start to gloat and say, I know what I'm doing now. Look at how far I've come. Look at what I'm doing. Look at where I'm going. Look at the success I've had. 
And God's like, it was only because of me, and now you're worshiping your success more than the one who gave it to you. I think sometimes we get too caught up in the worship of past victories. Getting into one small thing of a memorial, and it caused the people to worship a false god. Now, there was peace in the land for 40 years, but they were setting up themselves for failure with a false sense of security because they no longer turned to him. They turned to the memory of a victory. Well, verse 29 and 30, then Gideon, son of Joash, returned home. He had 70 sons born to him, for he had many wives. That's a lot of churn. That's a lot of wives. And if you making 70 kids with 70 wives, you, you ain't got much time for anything else but making the kids. I'm sure he, he was okay with that, but he got so caught up in how can I make this work for me that you have to wonder, like, was there more things God wanted him to do that he didn't have time to consult with? It's, 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 my, it's my prophet, and it's me moving forward, and it's me, and it's me, and it's me, and it's me. I've got gold now. I'm rich. I was the weakest one. Remember Gideon when we first met him? He was, he was taking care of things at a wine press. He was separating the wheat, and now he's, he's rich. He's got all this stuff from the camels and the, the warriors and the, the earrings and the gold. Now he's got wives, and he's got 70 kids, and he's doing all. He has forgotten where he came from. And the only reason he got to this place was because of saying yes to God, and now he's not even talking to him. Verse 31, he also had a concubine in Shechem, who get, that's not a wife, that's another one in addition to the wife, whom he named Abimelech. The name Abimelech means my father a king. Gideon intended this son to bear such a name that would mean Gideon wanted that son to become the next leader of Israel. We're going to learn about Abimelech next week in the next chapter. I find it interesting that the name of Abimelech was my father, a king. In Romans 8, 14, it says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. God wants you to lead, but you can only lead as a child of God in the royalty of the kingdom, being led by the Spirit and nothing else. And in the last few verses of Judges chapter 8, it says Gideon died when he was very old. He was buried in the grave of his father Joash at Oprah in the land of the clan of Abiezer. As soon as Gideon died, the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping the images of Baal. The same God that started this whole thing out, they went back to worshiping making Baal Bareth their God. You know what Baal Bareth means? It means God of the covenant. They made a covenant with a false God, forgetting the one true God who led them to the place where they had the freedom to do whatever they wanted to do. It's kind of like when Christians give covenant to a party instead of a belief. Can I say that again? Like we give a false covenant to I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat, right? I, I know pastors in Savannah who are Democrat and they're voting. And if, if you don't agree with this, like I really don't care, but they're voting. The pastor is voting Democratic because he is a Democrat. Now, let me get one thing straight. I don't have an issue with people who are Democrats. I have an issue with people who are voting for what they're standing for in this moment. And instead of humbling himself to, to vote for a party that he didn't give allegiance to, he's leading his church of almost 600 people to vote for a man who was pro everything the Bible's against. Because we give, we give false covenants. And then the people of our, of the, we keep saying the next generation, but if you look in the life of David, I think, Children and teenagers are not the next generation. We are all the same generation. That's a whole other sermon. But for the purposes of what we're talking about, let's look at the next generation. Most teenagers are all about, let's get socialism and let's get liberalism and we're going to vote for, for the, the, the Democratic guy because we want these ways and all that. And then in our minds, it, it's like most of us, we won't challenge that because, well, they had the freedom to choose. 
so your works mean the covenant of freedom now? It's a false freedom. It's a freedom that allows you to worship something that puts you into bondage. So speak into it. These people are worshiping a false covenant. They gain victory by God and through worshiping the memory of the victory, before you know it, they got lost in worshiping Baal again. Verse 34, they forgot the Lord their God who had rescued them from all the enemies surrounding them, nor did they show any loyalty to the family of Gideon, Jerubbabel, despite all the good that he had done for Israel. They got so lost in self-glory. And if we're ever going to represent him well, we can never get caught up in any, any form of worship of ourselves. Don't get caught up in the worship of your opinion. Don't get caught up in the worship, the, the, the worship of what you've always done. Get caught up in a worship that is so lost in the identity of Yahweh, that is so lost in the identity of Abba Father, that you're willing to sacrifice everything of yours so that he would rise above. And I close with this scripture in 1 John 5, 20-21. We know that the Son of God has come. Let me say that again. We know that the Son of God has come. He has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. Now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus. He is the only true God. He is eternal life. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. You want to know how to represent God well? Give him everything. Your thoughts, your opinions, your desires, your past victories, your current victories, what you want, humbling yourself before people who you feel like you deserve to be above. He says, give me your all, represent me well, stay true to me. And I'll make sure that you who may, who may be operating as in the last, I will put you first. I'll take care of your every need because I love my children. You are a child of God. So represent him well. Amen.